I'll record it anyway, but we're not going to include this. This week's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you were ready to do that, weren't you? So a minute ago, we finished watching Fantastic Four. It was not one. fantastic. 2015's The Fantastic Four. Wow. Oh, what a movie. I guess it was a movie. So we're, we're going to cover this movie briefly because it was just, I don't even know how to describe it, like, awful? Concisely. It was bad. Okay, for the first hour of the movie, you're wondering, when is this movie going to get past the first 15 minutes of this movie? It's like if you they know? wrote a regular movie and thought they wanted to make that regular movie into a trilogy, so they just took the first third and made it into its own movie? Exactly. That's and then exactly cut, off the, cut off the final bit from the last one and just stuck it on at the end. Yes. So the whole first hour of the movie, the cinematography is fine, right? The writing is cringeworthy. Oh, the yeah. cinematography is fine. Like, if you watched it on mute, you'd be like, okay, this is a fine movie. But for a superhero movie, it's incredibly if tame. Subtitles. If yeah. you had subtitles, you would realize that the dialogue is just bad. <laughs> it's, it's garbage. But it, that was kind of one of the entertaining things, though, was how bad the dialogue was. I was amazed at how bad the dialogue was. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they had exposition, right? Which the goal of exposition is to subtly reveal information about your characters. But really bad exposition is when you just have one character asking the other character for basic information about themselves. Right? They're not even introducing each other. There was a scene where one of them, the stretchy guy. Mr. Fantastic. Mr. Fantastic. Directly asked the girl, whatever her title is. Sue Storm. Sue Storm, yeah. Wait, does she have a... Is she Mrs. Fantastic? No. <laughs> no? Anyway, he, he looks at her and he says, where were you bored? <laughs> <laughs> and it was like... One of the first conversations they had. It was. And not just in the movie, in their relationship, because their relationship started in the film. So you know that it's like the third conversation they've ever had. Oh, there was this really good exposition conversation that they had in a library where Sue Storm got her two points of character development. She was listening to music in a library, which was apparently noteworthy because in this alternate universe of... (laughs) This In this Marvel universe, no one just sits in a library and listens to music unless music is their thing. I want to point out, though, that this isn't the true Marvel universe. This is one of the Sony movies. Oh, true. Well, in this Marvel universe, she's listening to music and Miles Teller comes up and it says something along the lines of, oh, so music's your thing? He goes up and he takes this classic, well-understood book 
It's like he doesn't understand that this is one of the classics of literature and, and everyone knows it. And she's like, oh, I've read it. You, you don't have to tell yeah. me what it's about. How did he not know that people that this <laughs> know is the book? plot of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea? Was that scene to show that he was out of touch was with so, literature? I think the only reason they mentioned it was so that later in the scene, which was 30 seconds later, mm. she, she made a callback to it, which was out of most movies that I've watched, this was the shortest callback probably. <laughs> And as she was leaving, she said something like, okay, Captain Nemo, which was just lame. Oh, yeah. Oh, while they're sitting there, he says, so you must be good with patterns or something along those lines. So here she has her two character points of music is her thing and she's good with patterns, which comes up one other time in the movie where they say, hey, we need you to look at these patterns. We need to, we need someone to look at these patterns. And she says, I need to listen to music while doing it. Yep. <laughs> And, because it's uh, my thing. Oh, her other thing is that she goes invisible and makes four <laughs> or something. Yeah, that was what really irked me was that they highlighted more that music was her thing than that she had superpowers. So there's the skip in the middle of the movie where it's like one year later and then all of them are just superheroes. True. And that was like the interesting year. It's what, <laughs> That was what the movie should have been. This movie is supposed to be about them like developing and learning their powers, but instead they get uh. their powers and then it cuts the whole interesting <laughs> part and then it cuts to just a part where they already know their powers, but they're still not a team, right? They never really they become a team. They aren't even a team by the end of the film. They just force the movie not, title in. Oh, the movie title scene was terrible. <laughs> oh, that was painful. It's incredibly rare for me to see a movie where they make a reference to the title of the movie. And it's very rare for me to like one of those. But this is it's one of the It's hard to worst. like one of those. It's rare for anyone. Yeah. It's usually a it's bad It's just bad. Scene. It's just bad filmmaking. Another one of my big problems with this movie was, first of all, the antagonist was terrible. Right. And didn't show up till the last 15 minutes of the movie, actually. Yeah, he, he showed up. He was introduced his backstory character. And I, and uh, I don't know the actor's name, but his name in the movie, and he looks just like the lead singer of Passion Pit, links below. And his <laughs> name in the movie is Victor Von Doom, which, first oh. of all, is the most obvious antagonist name ever. Also, how come both Fantastic Four movies pivoted on doom doom is the big fantastic four villain Ugh, whatever it's him and i guess the silver Surfer. we've seen it or no it, it's the it's the planet thing planet eater okay well it's not that, e not that ego sounds, the living planet that sounds maybe worse so maybe they made a good call oh this is really disjointed right now but but doom shows up wearing anakin skywalker turned <laughs> evil attire later in the movie and it's wonderful oh, yeah. So pretty much Michael Angelicos, who's the lead singer of Fashion Fit, goes to the alternate universe with them. Oh, oh wait. So we're, we're, we're skipping over a bit that you might need to know. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so Tom is skipping way ahead here. Oh, are we going to start with the beginning? Not necessarily the beginning, but I want to quickly summarize some early parts of this okay. movie. Which it feels like this entire movie is the early parts of another movie. <laughs> <laughs> but... <laughs> So the movie introduces, what's his name, Mr. Fantastic Stretchy Guy? Miles Teller. Is, is that the actor? Whose face what, is conveniently already name? long as a person. What's his character's so name? So it fits with the character. Oh, Reed. Reed is his character's name. Anyway, I don't know if that's... No, it's Reed. Is that his first name? No, it's his last name. So what's his first name? I don't know. Connor? No. Okay. I don't remember. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so it introduces Mr. Fantastic as a kid. 
And as a child, he's apparently some... Yeah, some unbelievable prodigy. Like, yeah. like okay, he's in... Well, okay, he's... He's actually like exactly our school. age because he's a senior in 2014. No, but in 2007, he still built this thing. Right, right, right. Well, well I'm saying so he was exactly our age. So in 2007, we were... So he's a sixth grader. So there's this middle schooler. Which makes him 12. Yeah. He's 12 years old and he's found a way to teleport. Right off the bat, this movie is ridiculous. I can understand the child prodigy thing. No. Maybe. No, it shouldn't have been there. It was ridiculous. It's a comic through, book movie. Through though. and through, it's absurd. People are twelve year olds cannot invent teleportation. I'm sorry, that really upset me. My problem was the explanation of the teleportation. <laughs> he explained teleportation by just making a vague reference to quantum tunneling, space time. To basically, it's that that on a quantum level, you can have this sort of teleportation going on, but. Then he just said, if that works, why can't we teleport? We can. (laughs) I've built it in my garage. It's the most shallow understanding of this concept. It's more of this idea that quantum physics is just magic. Yeah. Well, it makes it all work. Ant-Man had this too. Probably. On the quantum level, it's magic. We don't know. (laughs) Just say some science words and then it's explained. Yeah, we'll just throw in some science words and he said something about like tuning the frequency and then... (laughs) And then it teleports. Magic. Yeah. So boy, Mr. Fantastic, forms a relationship with the boy who will become Rockman, the thing, mm. if you will. Oh, one other thing about this teleportation that I'm going to oh, mention. Sorry. This is a thing that movies often get wrong about teleportation that bothers me. When you teleport an object, matter from one place to another place. The idea is that you're instantly creating that matter in that other place, right? Right. So the allow is, it. Is that new matter in that new location, is it displacing the existing matter that's there? You mean the air? Or is it replacing it? Because if it's mm-hmm. displacing it, it's an explosion. Well, now we're thinking. If it's displacing it, if you take that air and you shove it out of the way that quickly... It's an explosion. There would be a big explosion. What if it happens slowly? Then there's none. But all the teleportation is always instant. Okay. So it's not like it slowly pushes the air out of the way. Right. And the thing that this movie did that I actually like about that, at least that it seemed to imply, was that instead it was swapping the places of two equivalent areas of matter. Right. So they were getting rocks. So they, they got rocks right. back. Yeah. And I thought, finally, someone has made a teleportation form that doesn't make no sense because it's not just destroying all the matters that's there somehow. And it's not displacing it instantly, which would have caused an explosion. Mm-hmm. Right. It's replacing it. But then later on, they mention how before Mr. Fantastic's magic grade school invention, they could only send things one way, which would completely break this whole idea. Right. They couldn't keep the portal open or something. It was weird. Didn't make sense. Also, the whole idea of them being able to send signal back was not explained at all. They were able to have cameras with live feed of this other dimension. I mean... They didn't get into the weeds on that, but... No, they're just like, we opened up the portal, then we closed it, but we still have radio signal. It was like, essentially they were traveling to space, but it was a separate dimension. Yeah, and there was no delay. Which is weird because in the first movie, they just traveled to space and things seemed to work out better. It's funny trying to make comparisons to the first two movies because... Weirdly, those ones were better. In light of this movie, those movies become (laughs) good. Those were success. The first one was not great, was okay, and then the second one was kind of bad. 
but in comparison to this one, those were like they become the best adaptations of Fantastic Four. Yeah. In film. The biggest problem with this movie was Zach Zach eloquently put it earlier. Go ahead and say what you said. Yeah, the problem with this movie was that the director seemed to have seen other movies. <laughs> Has maybe watched another Maybe he's film. watched some other movies. And he noticed this effect that you get in those movies where if you have a slow scene with dramatic music playing, you can often create a very impactful viewing experience. Michael Bay does this all the time where you have a dramatic slow pan around characters as they're having a conversation or something or whatever that whatever the case. It's not usually a slow pan in Bay films. But it's a long scene is right. my point. It, yeah. If you have a longer scene, it can be seem impactful. But what the director didn't understand was that those long scenes are successful because they're in contrast with all of the short scenes for the rest of the all movie. All the like fast pace of the rest of If it. you have a fast paced movie and then you suddenly slow down and a character realizes something or a character slowly walks toward the screen. Then it matters. Then it matters. But if the entire superhero film is done in slow motion, it's incredibly boring. Yeah. And that's what we achieved with Fantastic Four. They could have cut down every scene. They could have sped up and Easily. cut down. They could have cut it down like, scene in this like movie. 50%. Yeah. This movie could have been half. This movie should have been the first third of the movie. Yes, exactly. Mr. Fantastic forms a relationship with the boy who will become the thing. They build the teleportation device. In it's just his, a jumble of wires in it, a circle. Exactly, in his garage. And then they have it at a science fair because that's the best place to <laughs> present the newfangled teleportation technology is at your high school science fair. This is unexplained. You don't contact the scientific community saying, I have just made this incredible <laughs> breakthrough. Look at this thing. Instead, you say to your high school physics teacher or high school science. Te was he even a science teacher? It was weird because he was also his grade school teacher who never believed in him. Yeah. It's unimportant. Anyway, they present... The teleportation technology at like a side booth at the science fair. Yeah. And then the world's foremost scientist and his daughter just happened to be there. Kate Mara are in the neighborhood. This is never explained why they were there. So they see him. Also, it's just like the House of Cards cast <laughs> recast as the Fantastic Four. So the guy who makes the ribs, what? the guy on House of Cards <laughs> oh, who okay, cooks okay. ribs for oh, Frank yeah. is the world's foremost scientist. And he says, we want to offer you a full scholarship. You should come to our research lab or university. I'm really not sure what it was. It was ambiguous. It's really weird in so many ways because not only that, but he comes up and he sees this teleportation technology that Mr. Fantastic has made. And he's like, that's the thing I've been spending 10 years working <laughs> on and you have it working now. What are the odds that I would what find it at this random Science fair that I stumbled into. What are the odds that the only other people in the world who could possibly create this happened to show up at this kid's science fair <laughs> by random chance? That I was at for no reason. And then see him there presenting the technology that they've been trying to build. Miles Teller and his thing buddy, pre-thing, <laughs> go, go and work for this guy and they start developing stuff. And then they get things working. They send a chimp because that's nature's disposable mammal. And it was... Definitely not Andy Circus. <laughs> it was it's very much worse far CG. from Andy Circus. It was terrible CG. So they send a chimp and then they bring him back and they're like, he's still alive. Vitals are good. We're good. So then one of the bad guys from Holes who is perpetually chewing gum in this oh, film. Oh, right. That's what his, he was from. He was from Holes. With his mouth open. Oh, man. He 
really, if you watch the movie, look out for him chewing gum with his mouth open. It's really strange. Oh, there, there was one scene where he's giving a presentation to some military people. And in the middle of the presentation, he finishes talking and he continues to move his <laughs> jaw up and down as if he was but continuing talking. But you can't talking. tell that he's chewing gum. But yeah. It he, just it's... looks like he's like loosening his jaw a little bit. Or like he suddenly weird. was unable to speak, but he's still moving <laughs> like, his jaw in like the motion. cut his audio on yeah. accident. So bad guy from Holes comes in with his villain music mm. and he says, we're sending this straight to NASA. We're going to get some aerospace engineers in here. They to... made NASA seem really evil. Yeah, to, to come and man this mission to the alternate universe or alternate dimension. Doom's like, I hate NASA and the government. Yeah, so so Passion Pit lead singer is like, no, we we developed the technology. We need to be the first ones there. So then Miles Teller's like, I need to be the first one there. And then Passion Pit lead singer's like, I'll be the first one there. And they have this really shallow rivalry, which is also a rivalry over Kate Mara, which is referenced one other time in the movie as if it were developed earlier, but it wasn't. That's the weird thing is this movie is so painfully slow that they should have had ample time to develop these characters and they didn't. Squandered opportunities all over the place. Somehow every relationship is shallow all the time. Oh, for a minute this movie became Fast and the Furious. There was a street race. Yeah, look out for that. It's kind of unimportant. Pretty much it was exposition for Michael Bajordan just being a disappointment to the guy who cooks ribs for Frank Underwood. Oh, yeah. Right, back to Miles Teller and Passion Pit lead singer fighting. They decide, we need to be the first ones in the alternate dimension. We discovered it. So they, without any help, anyone in the control booth, hop into the rig and send themselves back. Or back, I don't know, wherever it is. Back to the future. (laughs) They go to the alternate dimension with a flag. (laughs) Yeah, they take a flag. (laughs) They go and they stick the flag in the ground. Oh, uh, Michael B. Jordan makes an Instagram. Also, I know that his name is Michael B. Jordan, but I like to say it like that. They, okay, I've been wondering. Like, yeah, no. It's, it, his name is Michael his Jordan, name. and his middle name starts with a B, so he goes by Michael B. Jordan. Oh, okay. So I call him Michael B. Jordan. They go and they... Well, he makes an Instagram reference while they're in the... Novak. <laughs> That's actually good. That's much better than my joke. He makes an Instagram reference, which... Okay. And then, <laughs> and then they stab the flag into the ground, and some green goo comes out. So then they go down into this canyon type thing where there are pools of this green slime stuff michael angelakos lead singer of passion pit touches it and you know everyone's saying oh bad idea cg is awful throughout this entire part it looks like a video game level but not even a modern video game it looks like a video game level from like 2007 (laughs) (laughs) so then they start running away from an explosion that starts to happen. They're climbing back out of this uh, canyon, and Michael B. Jordan is on top trying to pull them out because somehow they took gear. They had so- climbing gear. S- somehow they also had spacesuits, which wasn't mentioned. Anyway. I guess they wore the ones for the chimps, but they're but they fit. But they fit. <laughs> so uh, Michael Angelakos does not make it out. He's trying to get up the canyon wall, and he falls backward into the Nickelodeon slime. He gets slimed. It goes on to him first. Miles Teller and the rest of the gang, besides Michael Angelakos, get back into the rig and then go back home. And they leave the definer of the first-person shooter genre back on the play. (laughs) What are you talking about? Doom. (laughs) Oh, good one. Yeah. Uh, So then then Doom is just forgotten, but you're like, well, I know he's the bad guy because his name was Doom. So he's got to come back sometime, but he doesn't until the last 15 minutes of the film. 
yeah. when they've wasted the first hour and 30 minutes of the film. It's amazing that it took them until the last 15 minutes <laughs> of the film. To have an antagonist. To have an antagonist even appear, right? <laughs> it felt like it should have been halfway through the movie or less. Yeah. It was really weird to see the ending of the film because I thought, this should be the middle of the film. How is it ending right now? Yeah. At this point, it went from, this movie isn't good, but it's not terrible, to, oh, I see why this movie's terrible. Oh, it's just it so is. bad. It actually is terrible. People aren't just bandwagoning saying it's terrible. Doom shows up. Wait, are we already back to Doom? We, we've skipped. Oh, we've skipped. Oh, right. So much, but so oh. little. Was there anything in the middle well, there? Well, they all come back and Miles Teller's all stretched out and he's like, what's going on? And then Rock <laughs> Eye is a, a pile of rocks and he's like, what happened to me? And then Michael Jordan is just on fire. Somehow. <laughs> he's just laying on the bed, like bursting with flames. And then Sue's, I don't. She's going in and out of being in invisible. In an eruption of the force or whatever. When the ship came back, she became invisible in force field. They had the pod go to the other dimension. The pod has four slots in it. So, of course, you think, I'm watching Fantastic Four. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I know what's going to happen. <laughs> but, I mean, I guess kudos for not. But they threw a curveball, and they're like, oh, no, she didn't go. And I thought, how is she going to get her powers? Maybe she'll go back to try to save the video game that Von was left Doom. There. Yeah. <laughs> but she didn't. She just got blasted when the ship came back. So then pretty much nothing happens. Mr. Fantastic escapes and pretends to be other people by changing his face. Every time that Miles Teller is just sitting doing nothing, he's looking pensive, which annoyed me because it's like he's modeling for GQ while he's sitting in his apartment alone, which is so Miles Teller. Like he wasn't playing a part here. He was playing himself. I'm sure he does this in his own home. Staring at a mirror. (laughs) Probably all of his walls are just mirrors. (laughs) No, he just has a mirror like attached to a backpack that goes out in front of him. So he can always, <laughs> so he can always stare at always himself. Always look at himself. The weird thing about him being down there or being wherever he was hiding from the rest of them is he was going around buying scrap and they never went anywhere with that. It's another thing that seems like they had parts of this movie that were in there and that were cut. So they had a vague reference to him being down there and gathering materials, but they never explicitly say that he was trying to build another machine. To anything? go back to, to get go back. It was just like yeah. he was he was just getting materials. I don't know why. Right? Yeah. And then they show up and take him. Yeah, so then... So <laughs> they never show what he's been working on either. Also, there's some terrible CG. There's some stuff of the thing, like destroying tanks. There's oh. really bad, like, Sony Vegas explosions. <laughs> that was maybe my favorite scene of this movie just because it was so hilarious. Yeah. There's a, there's a scene where the thing jumps onto a tank, and it's this very poorly... Model animated. Yeah. It's like there was no lighting applied to this model. <laughs> it was all static. It was just right. flat lighting. It looked out of place already. And so he tears off the top pivoting part of the tank and then throws it and the camera pans and follows it and, <laughs> and it hits the ground and right as it hits the ground it disappears. And in its place is just a fireball but it's a transparent fireball. Yeah. So you can see that somehow this tank just, this, this top of the tank just has no debris at all. It just explodes. It was awful. So then they they go back to Area 57, (laughs) which is where they're housing the four who are, to this point, unnamed. Bad guy from Holes comes back, and they're like, we need to go back to the alternate dimension. 
think of the resources, which I was thinking if we can teleport things to an alternate dimension, let's put our garbage there. Let's make that the, <laughs> la- let's make that the landfill, right? Your first response of being able to access a new area is just dump all our garbage. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're, we're ruining the soil. <laughs> uh, anyway, <laughs> so they, they just want resources so that they can have ultimate power back here on Earth, which seemed immature in the face of a completely new dimension that they would just hone its power to take over Earth. That was the U.S. military in this film. Yeah. They wanted to hone the power from the alternate dimension. Conquer Earth with these it super was, soldiers. It was really un-American. <laughs> <laughs> the shallowest motivation that you could possibly think of. There was also a, a subtle environmentalist feel <laughs> of this movie. Doom's motivation, his very shallow motivation, is he believes that the Earth is already ruined. Oh, and this is an... And so he's going to go back to his world and hang out there. <laughs> alone. And just live alone on the world that isn't ruined, even though it's just this... this. Not Mars, but... Okay, have you seen Guardians of the Galaxy? You know the first planet he's on? It's that. The post-apocalyptic one? Yeah, it looks very similar to that. Like, I'm pretty sure Chris Pratt was dancing around on a different part of this dimension. Oh, yeah. Uh, so... Went with less green slime. So for some reason, they go back, I, I guess, just to explore the dimension. And it's not the original explorers and then doom is there and he's fully metal now in anakin attire and they bring him back where did he get that cape right there's a seamstress apparently in this alternate dimension so they bring him back and they have him strapped to this thing and then he starts having power which is unexplained he just starts killing everyone with his mind so we couldn't figure out what his power was we thought it must be telekinesis his power is confusing because it seems to be on a broad scale telekinesis right but it's really inconsistently powerful telekinesis. Sometimes he's lifting up small individual objects and sometimes he's lifting up huge amounts of rock or whatever. But the other thing too is that there's this scene where he he walks through and he starts killing all the people in this research area. But what's weird is the first person he kills takes like 10 seconds. Then the rest of them that he kills, he seems to kill all in the same way and that's instant. And then he meets up with one of the main characters and he does something else, a different thing that almost kills him, but leaves him enough time to have a final word. To say to his children, take care of each other. So then they go back to the alternate dimension, have this god-awful fight. During that fight, we realize that Doom can also control force fields. There's this really funny reference to, I had a different future in mind for us, Sue. And there was only one allusion to him maybe being interested in her romantically, where he was upset with Miles Teller for hitting on her, for kind being of. There. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, they have this big fight, which is awful. Some of Earth gets swallowed, and oh. then and then the Fantastics ultimately win. Really quickly, too. Well, yeah, they had to. Yeah. It was the end of the They're movie. They're almost out of time. So then, got to quickly wrap this up now. So then, it was like the opposite of the finale of Man of Steel. <laughs> I haven't seen that. <laughs> it's like Steel. the opposite of that. So. Then they go back to headquarters, which is maybe S.H.I.E.L.D., but it's Sony, so they didn't yeah. explicitly refer to it as S.H.I.E.L.D., and it looked different. I and feel then, like it might be and S.H.I.E.L.D. And then they're standing there, and Miles Teller's like, there's four of us. We should come up with a name. Oh. And, and uh, uh, Michael Bajordan is like, how about the Human Torch and the Torchettes, which was kind of funny. It was like all of his lines, almost 20. Also, he maybe had 20 lines in the entire film. Oh, yeah. Like- it seemed like no characters talked very much, which oh. was weird because it was so slow. Yeah. Oh, and after after he says that Torchette's line, his final line in the movie is the most mean-spirited thing 
in the movie where he says <laughs> like the three scientists or something and the thing no one wanted. <laughs> Which I thought that it was, was so incredibly rude. So mean. <laughs> The thing was naked the entire time, unlike in the other Fantastic Four movie. Did he wear pants in the other one? He had pants. This one, he didn't. He just bare rock. I guess there's no reason for him to have pants. So then, so then they kind of go through a couple more meaningless lines of dialogue, and then the thing says something like, "It's fantastic." And then Miles Teller gives that pensive look, just left of camera for a second, and says, "What did you say?" He said, "It said it's fantastic." And then he says, "Guys, I got it." And then it's cut to black, and the movie title, Christopher Nolan style, comes in. Yep. Says, The Fantastic Four. And oh. if I hadn't checked out way earlier, that's where I would have instantly checked oh, out. Oh, man. Mostly because so, it's the end of the movie. Two more things I want to point out about this movie. And then we're moving on. Then we're moving on. <laughs> First of all, is that the thing, as soon as he becomes the rock monster that he is, he <laughs> has lo- like five more lines in the he, whole movie. His voice changes and he loses his accent. Right. He has this really thick accent before, right? That's like a Boston accent or something. I don't think so because they were in New York. New York accent, I guess. He has this thick Eastern know, accent. Right. right? <laughs> Eastern U.S. accent. <laughs> Eastern European. <laughs> that just goes away and suddenly his voice becomes deeper. And the deeper I can understand, but the accent part really confused me. It, yeah, well, of course it's deeper. He's made of rock. Yeah. Rock is Hello. bigger, I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> Which means that you have to have a deeper voice like a Mike Dyson. The other thing that bothered me about this movie was that the constant threat was that if you opened up this portal to the other dimensions wrong somehow, you would create a black <laughs> hole and the black hole would absorb the earth. Yeah, they mentioned this more than once. This wasn't an accidental point. They mentioned it first that his grade school science experiment could have accidentally created a black hole and sucked up the earth. And I thought, that was really weird. That made no sense. (laughs) Right? And then they mentioned it again at the end because that was Doom's goal. At first, his stated goal was that he would just want to go back. He He wanted to go back. He he just wants solitude. To live in his world, right? And as soon as he goes back, though, he decides, you know what? I'm going to destroy the other world. (laughs) Uh, If I can't have it, no one can. It made no sense. His motivation just suddenly changed at the end. But the way he was going to destroy it was he was going to somehow create a black hole. What bothered me about this was that that makes absolutely no sense. Yeah. For it to create a black hole that can sustain itself, you need a huge amount of matter, right? And the amount of matter that they were dealing with was just minuscule. And even if you even if you took this matter and you compressed it down to a to the most to the smallest space possible, the smallest volume you possibly could. You could create a thing with the density of a black hole, but that would immediately evaporate because that's what they do. Black holes evaporate, right? And if it's that small, it is not large enough to sustain itself for any length of time and would immediately evaporate. So it's more of this shallow understanding of physics where they think we can just say it'll create a black hole, even though that makes absolutely no sense and Even in the world it. that they've stated. All right. So now let's move on to the why can't this happen section of this week's episode. And this week we're going to have kind of a short one because Zach has an interesting story to tell. That we told in the previous podcast. Oh, and I figure I should get into this right. really quickly. Okay. So we did record another podcast that was technically episode three. 
and I had it. And on. we watched Mission Impossible, but it was good because I fell asleep very early on, and I spent a bunch of the podcast explaining what happened. It was in the really movie. uninteresting. And that podcast was on the old hard drive for my computer. That was actually a solid state drive, and that failed and died and became just unreadable. And I lost all the data on it. So that podcast was lost, and with it died our. Episode Third three. episode, which was also recorded in the woods the night after our second episode. Yes. So now here's our <laughs> second iteration. So this is episode 3.2, really, but we're just going to call it episode three. three. Yeah, I guess. So Zach told a good story, though, about something very interesting that happened up at the cabin to him when he was younger. So we're going to allow for time for that and just uh, graze over this week's Why Can't This Happen topic, which is teleportation. Zach, give me the facts fast. Okay. So the basic idea Faster. is to, teleportation on a quantum level can't happen, first of all. We used to have this old model of atoms where electrons were orbiting like moons around a planet. Mm-hmm. We noticed that they would be a certain distance away from the atom, and we said those are levels, so therefore they're quantized. Quant- the, the, it's on a quantum level. So is that level. like S1, S2? Like those yeah. T- okay. Yeah. You remember those from yeah, chemistry. Yeah, that's chemistry. Uh, we later realized that that was not really correct. It was more like those were not orbits so much as they were areas of the electron probably being there. Think of it more like a cloud of probability. Mm. So if you took all the places that it could be, right, and you put dots out, you would have areas where the dots are really dense, and those are the orbits, mm-hmm. right, and they're probably here. Mm-hmm. But technically, it could the, be anywhere. there right. is a very low probability that it could be really far away. You could have an atom and its associated electron could be on the other side of a mountain, but it's probably not. It's probably in an orbital. Interesting. So how does that relate to teleportation? So what that is, is that on a probability level, the electrons essentially appear in those places. Okay. What that means is that if it is in the orbit, it could suddenly appear on the other side of the mountain and then appear back in the orbit. Just randomly. Randomly, yeah. So we want to try and put it on the other side of the mountain and then back in the orbit. Yeah. That would be teleportation. That would be teleportation. And the issue is that that doesn't scale up. So the truth is that teleportation is an abstract idea that physically... Teleportation sort of works on a quantum level, but it is not possible on a higher up level, at least in the sense that you take something and you make it instantly appear somewhere else. That can't happen. However, what you can do is you can transport things. So you could argue that getting in a car and driving to is a different location. Is slow teleportation. So the faster our means of transport are, the more like teleportation it is. Right. Okay. And, and that's where a lot of the classic ideas like in Star Trek or whatever, when they beam someone up, what they do is they cut the person into lots of tiny particles, lots of tiny little cubes or whatever, and then they can quickly transport those cubes and then reassemble them. So is else. it the same person where it appears? Or is it a copy? Oh, that's a good question. And that's in the Star existential Trek, question. In Star Trek, I think it's supposed to be the same person because it's the same material. Okay. So it's the same atoms, but it, that's different from other things where that's not the case. Like hmm. a certain Christopher Nolan film. I said I said drowning felt like going home. <laughs> <laughs> so you know what I'm yeah. So anyway, to tra- what I'm referring. Teleportation has the same problems as transport <laughs> in that you can't go from one place to another instantly. You can't surpass the speed of light in travel. But the faster we can move things, the more like teleportation it could become. Hmm. 
Well, there you have it. So it can be a thing, just not in the sense that we think. It's sort of the same idea as saying that we currently have time travel. It only just works forward forward at regular (laughs) speed. Uh, Yeah. There's an XKCD about if I had to be propelled in one... Inexorably through one dimension. And I'm glad it's time. Glad it's time, What yeah. are the other dimensions? Because I feel like that'd be funnier if I had a so, more full. Yeah, we have four dimensions. One of them is time. The mm. rest of them are three-dimensional space. So like what we currently exist in. So it's like front, back, side to side, up, down. So being propelled inexorably through... One of the three dimensions that we live <laughs> in would just be like traveling constantly straight forward. Or something. Yeah. So, which you could argue we do because our planet is moving through space oh. in a direction. So, we are doing it. We're sort of doing it in that. more than one way. Okay. Let's move on let's, to Zach's misc section move on for to episode three. The miscellaneous section, which is the story that I've told once, but I will tell you. And again. you told me like a few times before yeah. <laughs> we even recorded. So it. Tom might feign <laughs> ignorance of this. Like, act surprised. From context, I, I can deduce what fain must mean. Okay. I, I know that it was one of our vocab words in high school. Oh, it's like to fake. Wasn't it? Yeah, yeah I, know, I knew that. Dude, like I said, context clues. Oh, context clues. I knew what you meant. Very important. Okay, so. <laughs> um, if you right. learn nothing else from today, learn about context clues. So the reason I was telling this story was because we were up in the area where this story had happened. I've been going to this place for many years. It's a family tradition to go there. And I've been going there since I could remember. Just get to the story. (laughs) (laughs) So when I was in, I think, second grade, first or second grade, I went up there with my parents. That's where we go fishing and whatnot. It's where we were last week. Well, I was up there. I was walking down one of the beaches with my dad. And the way the beach is, it's a pretty flat, kind of muddy beach. There's a tall shoreline. We're walking down the beach... And he's looking across at this like three foot bank, which is a dirt bank that extends up from the beach and is kind of held together by the trees above it. And he sees something in there and my dad walks over to it and looks at it. And then I go over there to see what he's looking at. In kind of the lower center of the bank is a human skull upside down with its eye sockets pointing out. Like it was looking at us, but it was upside down. That's just haunting. See, I have an image of this and I wasn't there. We're looking at this skull, and we're pretty sure it's human. It's pretty commonly known what a human skull looks like. So my dad... You've seen movies? Yeah. (laughs) My dad, being curious, has me go up there. This is me in second grade. So seven-year-old you. Like seven years old. And he has me go up right next to the skull because it's a little bit below my height in the bank. And has me, like, crouch down and stand next to it so he can compare the size of the skull to the size of my skull. (laughs) And he's like, oh, I think this was a young child. Oh, that's awful. Um, so, well, like, go put your head right next to it. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's what I thought. Yeah, but you had a big head when you were a kid. Oh, uh, you know, maybe. Fine then. Well. <laughs> anyway, we figure out and we confirm that we have found a human skull on our property in the bank on the edge of being washed away, too. At, like high tide, the water almost gets up there. So the first thing we do is we contact the county sheriff and the county sheriff tells us to contact the state or county coroner right? <laughs> because every time you find a body in the state you have to contact the coroner so then come look at it and figure out that it was a serial killer that buried this body here and, back in the day and we confirmed that based on a number of things this body was much older and first of all there was no one missing that would have 
accounted for this body. Right. Right. In the area or No in one it. dies in Washington. It's crazy. Yeah, well, people, people do die. No <laughs> um, one that they knew that could match this body, right? And the body was buried pretty deep and deep enough. And it was settled enough and it was not a fresh grave. We came to the conclusion and it was agreed upon within the various parties that it was not a recent body. And in fact, it was very old. So like how old? I am not sure exactly how old it was. But it's old enough to have been Native American. The latest that they lived in that area was 100 years ago. So it was probably at least that old. It could be really old, Because too. you've explained to me that skeletons stay for a long time. Skeletons. Like, we still have skeletons from the Revolutionary War if you dug up their graves. It could be much older than 100 years. Right. Oh. It could be hundreds of years old. Oh. We know that Native Spooky. Americans were in the area for a very long time. So Zach's cabin is built on a... Old ancient Indian burial ground, the Shining style. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so what we did is actually we contacted the Native American tribe that was in the area prior to it becoming taken over by all the Europeans. And they confirmed to us that they used to live in this area, that they had long houses nearby on the beaches. And also one of them, the leader of this tribe, said that she remembered like her great-grandfather talking about spending time in that area. And they said, we're pretty sure it's one of ours. With that in mind, we started organizing with them and planning for how to deal with it. What do you, what do you guys think we should do about all yeah. this? Because we were concerned because in the winter, the water gets the highest and the waves get the strongest. It's and stormy. It's very stormy in the winter. We were worried that during the next winter, it would wash away because it was exposed. Uh, you wouldn't want to upset the grave. So over the next almost a year, up until uh, October, because this was in the summer, so we had until the next fall, we finally organized with them and found a time to go out there. To further make this story somewhat ominous, there were two other circumstances. The first was the date. This was October 30th, which is the day before Halloween. And we were up there dealing with a skeleton. Right. It was appropriate. It wasn't ominous. The other thing that was that was more <laughs> ominous was during this time, there was a lunar eclipse going on, which made the moon have the shadow of the earth on it, which caused it to have kind of a reddish tint, like a blood moon. So the moon was red and it was the day before Halloween. And they sent out a group of people from their tribe. They sent out the leader, at least of this group, I think maybe the leader of the tribe or at least in that area along with a few members of the tribe. I spent the night in a hotel and then left at like 5.30 in the morning. And we met up with the members of this tribe who were all in a van on like a <laughs> Thursday. We have to lead them to where our property is and finally lead them to where it is. They get out of the van and they take out a pre-assembled wood coffin. It's not even a standard type of coffin too, because the wood wasn't lacquered and it wasn't meant to be preserved in any way. Was it satin on the inside? Uh, no, but there was a pink blanket that was at the bottom. Oh, interesting. So they took that out and put it on the ground. And they began a long, like, four-hour process of slowly excavating the body, piece by piece. And what had happened with this body was I mentioned that the bank was being held together by trees. And all the roots were keeping the bank together, stopping it from washing away. Well, one of these trees had fallen over and had fallen inward toward the forest, away from the water, and had lifted up a bunch of dirt and rocks and right under what it had lifted up was the skull. 
So it wasn't a gradual erosion. It was just a sudden revealing of it. Which was why so much of the skull was visible. Yeah, which is why it was all, all visible instantly. And it wasn't right. just washed away because it probably would have been washed away if the water had gotten to it. Right. But the water had not gotten to it yet. They started digging under this fallen tree and kind of excavated a little almost tunnel to get all of the parts of this body. They started reassembling this skeleton in the coffin that they had brought. What piece tools were they using to deal with the bones? Like, were they just grabbing it barehand? They had small shovels and I think brushes. To hold the bones, though. They might have had gloves. I don't remember. Oh, dude. But they were still holding it by oh, hand. Creepy. And third grade me was there. We were invited to be there because we had found it to witness the events of it because we had found it and contacted them and they were grateful for it. Right. And I remember that I was told to be quiet the whole time. And you were seven, so that was difficult. I remember being concerned about whether or not I could go off to go pee in the woods. Because <laughs> I thought, am I allowed to do this? Just or don't do pee on another here? grave. So anyway, they slowly excavated this body and reassembled it in a coffin. They put all the bones where they should go and tried to build the skeleton back together. But there were portions of it that they couldn't recover. I think they only recovered like maybe one of the hands. And then neither of the feet. It was probably pretty old to lose those. Or maybe they just couldn't find them, right? Because this- Where are they going to be? Right where feet go. Maybe they just missed them. They were nearby. They could have shifted around. Trees might have moved the dirt around Uh, them. I'm saying this body's 400 years old. It could be. I don't know how old it is. We didn't do any sort of testing on it. Once they had reassembled the body, they covered the coffin and sealed the coffin, filled in the hole that they had dug, And meanwhile, they had been digging further up in the bank another hole, and they lifted up the coffin and set it down and reburied it further up in the bank. It seemed like a six-foot hole, and then covered it over. Each of the members of the tribe that had come, one by one, went up and said something over the body. I can't remember what they said or if I heard it. And then one of them sprinkled some sort of dirt over it, like red dirt, and that was it. They had finished the whole ceremony of reburying this Native American further up in the property. And after that, we were talking with the woman who had come who seemed to be in charge there. She was very grateful that we had contacted them. So this isn't some sort of spiteful Native American burial ground thing. <laughs> this is a... So it's not cursed. They're glad that we were there because otherwise the body would have washed away and it right. would have been bad. Okay. So they're glad that we noticed it and glad that we contacted them. And we said, if we find any more... We will also contact Those you. ones are ours. We get <laughs> no. to keep those. Uh, and there was another interesting interaction there where I remember my mom complimented the woman's necklace. And the woman immediately took off her necklace and gave it to my mom. Because in their culture, if someone compliments something of yours, then you know that they would like it. So yeah, we were up there planning to bury a skeleton the day before Halloween. And I remember that <laughs> the next day I came back home and it was Halloween the next day. And I just did regular Halloween stuff. And there were skeletons all over the place. I went to school and then went trick-or-treating and whatever else. So Zach has left out a vital part of this story, which really ups the ante. It really makes this story marginally more frightening. When we found this skull, there was a tree above it, but it wasn't directly above it. The tree that had fallen over to reveal it. What was seemingly directly on it was a piece of granite, which is a rock that does not naturally occur in that area. Granite is present in the area and was brought in by icebergs and by glaciers, but it's kind of scattered. What we noticed was that there was a piece of granite directly on top of the grave. And the interpretation that we got from it, and that I can't remember if they confirmed, I don't know. We thought that it might have been a grave marker. 
because they had mentioned, the Native Americans had mentioned that they believed that they buried other people in this same area. And it would make sense that they would mark the grave so they didn't bury two people in one place. We think that this granite stone may have been a grave marker. The other thing that we realized was that there were many granite stones on our property. <sighs> they were scattered all about the property. Uh, and in fact, a number of them had been picked up and used in the foundation of the cabin that was built on the oh property. No. So we think that there's a fair chance that we may have even used the headstones from an Indian burial ground for our cabin. Oh, man. And that they might just be anywhere on the property. Probably not directly under the cabin, Jeez. but on the rest of the property, and especially nearby where we found this this one Native American, there's a fair chance that there are more there. And so that's the reason that the tribe told us if we find any more... We should tell them because they are going to know where they are from. Yeah, Zach and I, uh, we were walking through the woods around his cabin, and I made note of every granite stone that I <laughs> that I saw, and I just got worried about it. I made sure not to pee there if I had to go, mm. or really step on it. So that's the story of how seven-year-old me <laughs> found a skeleton on our property, which turned out to be an Indian burial ground contacted the Native American tribe that was there and was present while they dug it up and reburied it. That is scary. That's life-changing. That's about as dark as this show's ever going to get. If your face was pensive while you were listening to that, if you were Miles Teller while you were listening to that, you just nervous the whole time, don't worry. That's as dark as we'll get. I don't consider that very dark. Dude, that's pretty dark. Was that dark? Yeah. I mean, it but doesn't they were, seem... they were fine with it. It's... Right. No, no, no. I mean... It... They're not haunting us or anything. It isn't if you don't want it to be, especially if you lived it. You know, like to you, it's not. But if you cool. But if we were to write a short story about it or Mm. a short film about it, you could make it really dark. Okay, the initial experience I will say was dark. Yeah. Because when you first find a human skull, if anyone listening, (laughs) anyone who could relate to this, if anyone listening can relate. At contact. I would probably be concerned when we first found the skull. We were unsure of where it came from and how old it was. Oh, your mind just starts wandering. And so that was the point where it was probably the most disturbing prior to realizing just who this was. In the end, the guess that we have and that was from the Native American tribe that visited was we think it was a young male. Oh, so he was young. So he was young, probably not seven, more like teenager. Yeah. But young male is what we think. Scary. That's what we are now. Yeah. Teenage males. All right. Well, that's our show this week. Thank you for listening. This has been our fourth recorded episode. But third broadcast. This is the third broadcast because the lost episode will never be recovered. Of I'm cast- not sad about it. it catastrophic wasn't good. hard drive failure. Yeah, it, it was easily. Our worst episode, the weakest episode that we'd recorded. I was really glad that I was able to salvage the second episode, though, because I had put a preliminary cut of it on the website. For me to listen to. So I was able to then use that to finish it up, because if I hadn't have done that, then we would have lost the second episode as well, and I would have would have been sad about that. Same, yeah. Yeah. All right, well, that's our show. Thank you for listening. Tallcast is a seasonal project recorded summers in Yakima, Washington, in Fort Bay Studio with Tom and Zach.